Man, you guys can grab a seat. I will give you one guess where you should open your Bibles to. Luke, there we go. And if you have any doubt, just answer that for the next two years, and that's where we'll be. Um, everybody doing good? We all relaxed? We happy to be here? Anybody struggling? Everybody okay? Anybody go to the Moonshine Festival this weekend? Anybody disappointed that didn't give out free samples of moonshine? Is that just me? No? Okay. I didn't even go. So here's what we're going to do. Luke 2, we're going to be 39 through 52 tonight. 39 through 52. I've always heard like pastors are supposed to start with a cheesy joke. There was my cheesy joke. They didn't pass out moonshine. Um, Luke 9, 39, or Luke 2, 39 through 52. Um, last week, just to recap a little bit, we talked about the dude Simeon, right? Um, so we did the most heretical thing anybody could ever dream of. We actually skipped over the birth story of Jesus. That's pretty bad, right? But we'll be circling back to Advent in a couple weeks. Um, so we skipped over. We talked about Simeon and his faith and how courageous he was. Um, that He walked up to a woman and took her baby. Just so confident that the Spirit said, this is Jesus, this is the Messiah. You should go hold him and bless him and prophesy over him. That he just walked up and took him. And so Mary had heard the prophecy. Joseph had heard the prophecy. They were all um, excited about having King Jesus in their hands. How do you think they would react to someone just walking up and saying, hey, can I have that baby? I mean, I don't think they wore earrings back then, but that would be like an earring clearing moment where a fight's about to go down. Uh, but Simeon was just so confident in who the Lord is and what he had asked him to do. And so last week we talked about just are we that confident in the gospel? Do we actually hear the voice of the Lord and do what he's asked us to do and just be so bold as to prophesy, hear the Spirit and do what he's asked us to do, even if it's going to pick up a newborn baby? And so tonight we're going to keep going into the text. Um, if you're new here, we're going to be teaching through the book of Luke over the next couple years, uh, just kind of going story by story, line by line. We'll have to skip over some of it because if we didn't, it would take, you know, eight, ten years. Um, so we're going to kind of move quick through it. And so this week, we're going to take a look at Jesus as a teenage boy. Now, typically, you wouldn't want to read about a teenage boy and what he does, right? Um, but we're going to tonight. We're going to study. Jesus is a little different, so we're going to be relaxed about that. Um, so when I was reading through this text, it really got me thinking, um, anybody work out a lot in here? Anybody, like, work out at all in here? Even just the occasional, okay, so I've been doing CrossFit for like a year and some change. Um, November 12th, I'm actually doing my first CrossFit competition. Pretty jacked about it. I'm excited. I'm going to lose. Um, me and this other guy, he's a Lumpkin County Sheriff. We're doing it together. Our team name is going to be the Guns and Buns. Uh, just, it is what it is, man. So we're excited about it, but I remember getting into CrossFit and doing it for like, they said, oh, if you just come for two months straight and get in the habit, like your life is going to be different. So I thought what that meant was I was going to have 12-pack abs. Like, not like four or six, but like 12. Like, no man has ever seen these abs. I, didn't, I haven't gotten them at all yet. I'm still going, still trying. And so at, what that reveals to me is I'm not patient. Anybody else not patient in here? Okay, hard work, there's a long time, and then you start yielding results, right? But how many of us really enjoy the waiting process? Anybody? Like, who loves to wait? Anybody just enjoy waiting? 
Like even me pausing is giving you anxiety because you're like, start talking. I don't want you to wait anymore. And so uh, in general, no, none of us do, but here's the deal. And here's what we're going to see through Jesus tonight. Um, If we don't focus on the waiting, when the end result comes, we're never ready. If we don't focus on the process of waiting, when the end comes, we're never ready. Like, I know a lot of you guys are college students. Here's probably what you're going to realize. For some of you, um, you're going to be so like, I can't wait to get done with school. I hate school. Da, da, da. Why would I ever do this? And you don't focus on what's coming, and then you graduate and go, oh, crap. Where am I supposed to go from here? And just side note, I know this is probably the first time some of you have ever heard a pastor say, crap. It's okay. It's not in the Bible. I checked right? Or like some of us, like I'm kind of in this season where um, you should really start saving for retirement. I cannot wait. I just candidly, I cannot wait till I can wake up in the morning and go, what do I want to do today? I'm going to sit right here and watch sports all day and take like six naps. And then I'm going to go to sleep, wake up and do it all over again. That's what I'm going to do. But if I'm so excited about that, that I don't focus on what I'm doing while I'm waiting, am I going to be able to retire? Am I going to have the money saved? No, it's all about the process of what we do while we wait. And so tonight, what we want to do is talk about this. What do we do while we wait? And I think Jesus really paints a clear picture for us. And the big idea for tonight, where we're going in Luke 2, is that while we are in this season of waiting, we have to focus on the roots. We have to dig in deep, focus on the roots of why we're waiting. What is this process here for? Because here's the deal. All of us are waiting for something. Some of you might be waiting to graduate. Some of you might be in a career, but you're waiting for God to open up the next door. Some of you might be in a season of singleness and you're waiting for marriage. Some of you might be in a season of like waiting for your kids to grow up so that you can actually enjoy life again. Uh, Anybody else? No? Okay. So some of us are just, we're all in different seasons of waiting, but universally, if we're believers, we're all waiting to see King Jesus face to face. So we're all here, we're all living in this already but not yet tension that we just want to see Jesus. Like we just want to be it to the point where there's no struggle anymore. There's no sin, there's no death, there's no mourning, there's none of that. It's just us and Jesus. We're all in this season of waiting. So let's read the text that we'll be in tonight and get started. Luke 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 39. Luke 2, 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, in their own town of Nazareth. And the child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and when he was 12, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group when they were went a day's journey, but they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Verse 46. At three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. 
And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we're grateful that you gave us your word. God, that we can study, that we can read. Uh, Father, but we know that this isn't just for knowledge. Um, Jesus, we pray that you would protect us from being puffed up with knowledge and intellectual stuff about this book. Um, but Jesus, would this change the way we live? Would this change our life tonight? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, I kind of have a general rule, and I've learned this from older and wiser guys. Um, Caleb, stand up for me. So, if this is Caleb. Everybody say, hey, Caleb. If we're going to draw a line using Caleb as a center point for that line, uh, where would the line go? So, like, we're going to draw a line on Caleb. Where would the line go? No, like, in, in this room. If we're going to divide, like, draw a big line, right? So, it could either go... This way, it could go this way, it could go diagonal, right? Carly, stand up. Now, this is going, I know you guys are like, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing school. Uh, if we're going to draw a line now, how would we do this? Okay, okay, but could there be a chance, where's my math nerds at? Who loves math, right? Could there be a chance where, like, this is actually a bowl? Like, this is MX plus B or AX, whatever that stuff is. Whatever. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm graduated. Forget you guys. So straight line, right? It, or it could be a bowl. But um, Kyle, come here. Right here, we add another point. Is there any doubt in our mind where the line would be? It's going to be a straight line, right? Kath, or Caitlin, stand up. Yeah, because you're like right in the line. So the more points we add, the more sure that this line is going to be straight. If I said, hey, like, where's the line going to be? You have no doubt. But when it was just Caleb, you could really make the argument, well, the line could be anywhere. You guys can grab a seat. So what makes me nervous a lot of times when I hear guys preach is this, that they, stand back up, they built a whole sermon around one scripture in the Bible that really has no other cross-references around it. You ever guys ever heard the, the nerd term hermeneutics? Okay, the Bible interprets the Bible. So the best way to know that the Bible is true is cross-reference it with other parts of the Bible. So I didn't tell you to stand up. Didn't you read that part about submissive? Just kidding. So for us, the best way for us to know that Scripture is true is to compare it with other points of Scripture. Now you can sit down. The important thing about tonight, though, is that in Matthew, Mark, and John, you're good. I won't change my mind. Matthew, Mark, and John, the other four or the other three Gospels, Leave this story out. So this is one of those stories where it's the only time in the Bible Jesus was ever talked about from the time he was born to the time he was 30. This is the only part that you'll read about this. So the danger in that is I could take this one point and build a whole sermon around it that is not even true to the scriptures. I can make this text say whatever I want it to. And some guys did that. So um, when they made the canonization of the New Testament, there was a lot of scriptures, scriptures that they had to kick out. And a lot of them had to do with people making up stories about Jesus. Like, they're just hilarious. There's one uh, where he w went to the river and, like, created uh, a little natural pool where he, like, stacked stones and stuff and purified the water just with his word. Well, some dude came up, one of his little friends, and threw a stick in it and said, what are you going to do about that? And here's his response. Um, this comes from the infancy gospels of Thomas, which were heretical. 
You insolent, godless dunderhead. <laughs> what harm did the pools of the water do to you? See now that you should also wither like a tree and shall bear neither nor leaves nor, nor root nor fruit. Shall bear neither leaves nor root nor fruit. So basically, little Jesus, like eight-year-old Jesus said, you're dead. Wither up and die. So the dude did. And so his parents came like, oh my gosh, like Jesus. And he was, there we go. We good? Yeah, so like, that's not true. That's not part of the canonization of scripture. Um, or another one, which I really loved, is Jesus was walking through town as like a little six-year-old, just bebopping. Someone bumped into him and he said, um, you shall not go further on your way. And dude just died right there. <laughs> like, what? So this is little Jesus, like 10-year-old Jesus walking around killing guys because they bumped into him. Uh, or another where Jesus walks into, this is from another uh, heretical thing. I don't know why I'm telling you heresies. It's just funny. Um, <laughs> Another one that he walked into a guy where they used to like dye cloths. And so Jesus had taken all the cloths and put them into one dye. And so the guy came in and said, what are you doing? Like, you just ruined my business. You took all my clean cloth and dyed them one color. Like, they're supposed to be dyed a bunch of different colors. And so it just makes me remind me like of a carnival. Jesus said, oh, what color do you want? Blue? Here's a blue balloon. Like, what color do you want, red? And so every time that the um, cloth dyer would name out a color, Jesus would pull off the fabric and it was perfectly dyed to that color. None of that's true, right? Like, that's all the early church fathers, when they were putting together the New Testament, said, no, that's all not true. Don't put that in the Bible. So what I don't want to do tonight is paint a picture of Jesus that just isn't true, um, that is heretical. So we want to be very careful, and there's going to be a bunch of cross-references because we want to know uh, what is true. Does that make sense? So, um, let's start going in verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And when the child grew to become strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, this, what we're dealing with is a phrase called incarnation. Anyone ever heard of incarnation? Anybody want to give me a definition of Incarnation. It's kind of like a churchy term. If you didn't grow up at church, don't worry, you haven't heard this word. Uh, anyone want to give me their best guess? Incarnation? I heard a lot of people say they knew it. Go for it, Ricky Bobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the incarnation of God in the flesh, which is Jesus. And so the early church fathers, specifically at the Council of Chalcedon, had to like really put some framework around this idea because no one can understand it. How can we fully understand that Jesus was fully God and fully man? So they took three, almost three months of a council to come together with five statements describing this idea of the incarnation. Number one, Jesus has two natures. He is fully God and fully man. Number two, each nature is full and complete. Number three, each nature remains distinct. Number four, Christ is only one person. And number five, things that are true of only one nature are nonetheless true of the person of Christ. Three months of debating and studying scripture and praying, and they came out with five points. Uh, anyone want to sign up for that? Three months of arguing and bickering and debating to come out with five points. So this is what the incarnation is. So we're starting to get this picture. And the question you just kind of have to start running through your mind. At this time, did Jesus know that he was God? At this time, if, if he is fully man, but he's fully God, and they're separate entities, at what point did Jesus know that he is God? Okay, we'll, we'll get a little bit of that in a minute. Verse 41, 
Now his parents went to the Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Uh, so this text shows two things. Um, one, that Mary and Joseph are devout Jews. So that Jesus did not come to fully abolish or to push away from the Jewish culture. He came to embrace it. And the other thing that four Jews of that day, that there were three celebrations that they were supposed to go to, and Mary and Joseph only got to one. So this shows again what we start to understand about Jesus, is that he came from pretty rough beginnings. Uh, he came from, the only reason they couldn't make this journey for all three festivals is because they were broke. They were poor, that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as an infant was not a wealthy person. And when he was, verse 42, and he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Um, so, is anyone have heard of a bar mitzvah? Okay, you, okay. So this is kind of what's going on. Um, with the Jewish culture, at the age of 13, you are now held responsible before God for what you know. So they were definitely taking Jesus at the age of 12, getting him before all the rabbis and all the teachers, letting him know and, or letting him ask any question. Make sure you fully understand because they went back to their town of 100, 200 tops. They were not going to be around great biblical teaching. Joseph was the one that was going to be teaching him everything he knew. And so Joseph and Mary both wanted to get Jesus before the Pharisees and before the teachers of the law so that when his 13th birthday came, that when he was fully accountable for God, that they felt like they had done a great job raising him in the scripture so that he would be accountable and he would be good. Make sense? All right, let's keep going. Verse 43. And when the feast had ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And when they began to search for him according to their relatives and acquaintances, a search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So this journey was about 80 miles. Anybody hiker in here? You hike? Okay. Uh, you ever do 20-mile days? Yeah. You're supposed to say no. But cool, man. So you never do 20 miles, you slacker. Um, no, like up here, going out around the mountain terrain, 20-mile days, is, is, you're moving it. You're, you're cooking. Uh, 20 miles in the desert, maybe not so much. But they would travel together as families or as a community because this is a huge journey. Um, everyone knew that people were going for this celebration. So what do you think would set up on the side of the roads and try to take advantage of people? robbers, right? Like they were trying to take all that they could. So they would travel as a big community to keep themselves safe. Now, I don't know if you guys grow up, like went on vacation and all these with a bunch of different families, but there's just this natural camaraderie where everyone's going to watch everyone's kid. Everyone's going to take care of everybody. We're, we're good. So when we first read that, like, I don't know if you go where I go, but we're secretly judging Mary and Joseph. Like, you slackers, like, why did you go a whole day without noticing your kids? Uh, that's not true. That was just kind of normative. Uh, and if you want to judge them, then you can answer when you get to heaven. Verse 46, and after three days, they had found him. Now, here's something that I just want to kind of throw out there and let you do with it what, what you want. I studied a lot about this, and textually there's some, some disagreeing here. But you have to do something with the fact that Mary and Joseph lost Jesus for three days and then found him, right? Could this potentially be a foreshadowing of Jesus' death for just three days and then him defeating death and coming back, right? Coincidence or providence? Who knows, all right? So three days implying they went out for a day's journey. 
Then they had to turn around and come back another day journey. And the third day, they looked around Jerusalem. And we'll hear uh, what seems like some attitude coming from Jesus because what implies on the third day, they were probably looking all over Jerusalem. They didn't go straight to the temple. They're just looking everywhere. Anyone ever get lost at Walmart growing up? And then like, you hear your name coming over the speaker or you guys probably all had cell phones, like, you better get to the front now. Like, when I was growing up, it was, uh, Gabe, you're missing, and your parents are looking for you. One of the reasons that we were missing is because we were running back and forth. And, like, my brother, who's older than me, was crying like a girl, so they should have been able to hear him. But we just never found each other until we both got up to the front. So you would think that that's what's happened, that Jesus is moving back and forth, and Mary and Joseph are moving all around Jerusalem, and they just can't find each other. But that's not the case. Let's keep reading. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and understanding or, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So here's where we start to get the idea, maybe he did know. Maybe he's starting to put the puzzle pieces together, that everyone is amazed at what I'm saying. I just have a natural intellect. Maybe this is really starting to make sense. Because what we understand with Scripture, Jesus never fully confessed that he was God. There's things that, like, no, not even the Son of Man knows when the Father is going to return. So there's different things in Scripture that Jesus would allude to and talks about his Father. And there's things that relate to Jesus about being the Father. But what we have to understand is, did, when did Jesus really start to understand that he was God, that he was King? And another thing that just kind of, um, just, again, some conjecture, just as we're reading the story and putting ourselves in the story. Um, who were these Pharisees? Who were these teachers of the law that he was sitting under? And were some of these guys the same guys that in 18, 19, 20, 21 years were going to be the ones trying to kill him? I mean, was this the first spot where they're listening to Jesus going, there's something different about this guy. We need to watch him. There's, there's something going on. We need to be really keep careful with this Jesus of Nazareth guy. Because I don't, I don't try, how does he know this? How does a kid know this? There's some things where kids say, oh, like, that's cute. Like, okay, go play. But the answers that Jesus was giving was not and you look at Isaiah 11:2. It says, "And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord." So these teachers of the law knew Isaiah; they knew this stuff, and so the spirit of understanding resting on Jesus. There had to be some questions going on, like, could this guy really be the Messiah? Messiah. Verse 48. And his parents said to him saw him and they were astonished and his mother said to him son why did you why have you treated us so behold notice this your father and I have been searching for you in great distress great distress okay so just notice obviously you lost a kid you're freaking out great distress makes sense but notice the phrase your father verse 49 and he said to them why were you looking for me who would have got spanked for that growing up right? Like you get lost. Your parents are looking for you. Why did you do this, Gabe? We were looking for you. And my response is, why were you looking for me? Whew. That would not end well. So like this is the first time Jesus pulls the God card. And like, woman, don't talk to me. Why were you looking for me? Anyways, I just love that. Verse 49, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Mary says, your father and I Jesus' response was, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? 
So this is the first clue. This is the first deep relationship of my father, not Joseph. And this is no disrespect to Joseph, but my father. Didn't you know? Another translation says, don't you know I need to be about my father's business? Like, don't you know that I am surrounded, I am embraced with, I am around my father. He wants to be where his father is. He wants to do the work of his father. Don't you know I'm around my father. I'm for my father's business. Let's keep going. Verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Now, if you're anything like me, that is a big sigh of relief, right? Jesus talks to Mary and Joseph, and they don't get it. Jesus talks to the disciples, and they don't get it. Jesus talks to us through his text. Do we always get it? No. Do you feel like a moron sometimes? Yes, okay. Uh, if whew, Mary and Joseph didn't get it, they chose, God chose Mary to have Jesus, and she didn't understand. We don't understand. That's okay. We're, we're good if we don't understand everything. But what we have to understand here is that Jesus was clear about his mission. He knew it. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. But he knew where he was going. Verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Now, this is huge, and we'll talk about this more in a minute. Um, Jesus, my father, don't you know, Mary and Joseph, don't you know I'm about my father's business? But I love how Luke, because you got to remember, Luke is writing this to our boy Theo so that he would be certain in all the things concerning the gospel. And so Luke intentionally put this word in here that he was submissive to them for a huge reason. That even as the king of kings and even as the Lord of lords, he was waiting for him to be released on his ministry. And what that looked like was submitting to Mary and Joseph. What that looked like was willingly laying himself down for the good of the world. Sound familiar? All of Jesus' character can be summed up into submissive. Did he have to submit to Mary and Joseph? No. Did he have to go to the cross for our sins? No. In our missional community, everyone loving their missional community? If you're not a part of one, man, please get to be a part of one. In our missional community last night, or Friday night during our equip night, one of the questions was, what characteristic, or what character of Jesus is most lacking in us? What characteristic of Jesus is most lacking in us? Um, and for me, it was the idea of death, of dying to myself. I love myself. Just, I mean, just being candid. Putting other people's preferences above mine and like dying and, and willingly submitting when I don't have to, it's not a huge characteristic of mine. So to see this, that he willingly submitted, that he laid his life down, is huge. And we'll see why in a little bit. Verse 52, or sorry, excuse me. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now, as we've been going through, this is the third or fourth time Mary has uttered this phrase, that Mary treasured everything up in her heart. And we've got to kind of press into why. When we look at how Luke wrote these scriptures, that he was not an eyewitness to much of this, right? That he interviewed eyewitnesses, that he talked to, he built his case, he built everything, the gospel around his interviewing of eyewitnesses. So Luke is leaving these details in to show us, man, like I talked to Mary. She treasured these things up in her heart and then she told them to me, Theopolis. Be certain in what I'm telling you because I got it from Mary. So at the end of these big points of the angel coming, of Jesus' birth, at Jesus' uh, 12th-year-old missing, 
The same phrase keeps coming up that Mary treasured these things in her heart. And this is how we know that Luke turned around and wrote it from the lips of Mary. Verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus increased in wisdom. So here's kind of where we are. Jesus was born. We hear about him as an eight-day-old, or eight day old, 40-day-old, going through the customs of birth and circumcision, and Mary going through all the customs in Luke, one, or Luke 2. The next, when we pick up next week, who might be me, might be Kyle, might be Jay, who knows. Uh, my wife is due a week from Tuesday, so I might disappear for a couple weeks. We'll see you on the other side. Whatever picks up next week, we're going to talk about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. So we pick up when Jesus was around the age of 30. So all we have for this 30-year gap is this. But here's what we understand, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and he grew in favor with man. And this is huge because this is where we're going tonight. Like I mentioned before, we're all in this holding pattern. We're all in this season of waiting, whether we feel like it or not. That's where we are, because ultimately, we're all waiting to become like Christ. There's this term called sanctification, becoming like him. And we're all in this process, if you're a believer, we're all in this process of being honed uh, to be the perfect disciple of Jesus. Now, when will we get there? Will we get to perfection this side of eternity? No. So there's two thoughts here. Uh, Any type A'ers in the room? Type A, let me see your hand. Really, three type A people? This church makes so much more sense now. (laughs) So if you're a type A person, I'm telling you, here's a task to become like Christ. But here's the good news, you're never going to get there. That is going to literally frustrate every type A in this room forever. If there's a task for a type A, what do you want to do? Complete it, finish it, mark it off. Like literally, I've known people that will, even though they know they've already completed a task, they write it down just to mark it out. That is the type A, extreme type A. So when I say there's sanctification to become more like Christ, that's what we're waiting for. And hey, guess what? You're never going to finish it. That's going to frustrate some of us. Now, where's my type B in the room? The laissez-faire, chill. You guys aren't even thinking about this, and it drives me crazy. You type be like, oh, I'll get there eventually. I'll just trust in his timing. I'll figure it out when I get there. I'll show up when I show up. Stop it. I can't stand you guys. Trying to be crazy. So uh, here's this idea of sanctification, though. As we're pursuing Jesus, as we're pursuing holiness, as God is maturing us, here's the horrible news, but the best news about sanctification. It is a dance where you take two steps forward and one step back. It is a constant dance. You start feeling like, man, I'm getting more comfortable in this gospel thing. I'm starting to understand. I'm having a natural desire to study my text. I can't get enough of it. And then something happens and knocks you off your wheelhouse. You fall into a sin. You fall into depravity. You fall into something. And you beat yourself up and beat yourself up. And then you kind of get back up. Okay, I I know I need to pursue the Lord. I know I need to get into a missional community. I know I need to be growing. So I'm going to do it. I'm growing. Things start going well again. And then sin comes in. Something comes in, knocks you off your rocker. And you get frustrated. And you get angry. Am I explaining anyone else's spiritual walk in here? Right? Okay. You're, You're in good company. This is sanctification. This is becoming more like Christ. This is becoming who God wants you to be. This is good news for us. The dance of sanctification is two steps forward and one step back in this season of waiting. 
one of the biggest things that we have to understand here is what we do, why we wait, why we're trying to uh, be sanctified, why God is sanctifying us in this waiting process. What do we do? What do we do? So if you have your Bible, flip over to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. This is where we kind of start to understand this. And here's the good news while you're flipping. Here's the good news of sanctification. It's there will be times when you wake up and people notice that you're different or you handle a situation different. Um, You don't feel that you're growing, right? I mean, you guys would go to a family reunion. You'd go to Christmas with your family. And what's the first thing your grandma would say? She'd pinch her cheek. Oh, you're growing so big, right? I don't feel like I've grown, right? Like that's the process of sanctification. With the CrossFit deal, I don't feel like I'm getting stronger, but I know I am because I see the results on the page. Um, I'll never forget after I had my first daughter, Auburn, I went to, I used to have what some people would call, uh, maybe it's too extreme, but some people call like an anger issue. Uh, Anybody else? Like you just get really mad sometimes? Cool. I used to have like, Pretty, pretty good. Um, it was one of those genetic things, like my grandpa did it and his dad did it. So like, I don't have to change, it's just genetic. I have a temper. And so after my first daughter, though, like things started to mellow out. I had been asking the Lord to take this away from me. So I was playing golf with my brother. And I used to be the guy that would throw clubs, you know, like that was just what I did. And um, I would just intentionally mess him up because I didn't want to lose to him. And so there's a po- moment where my brother started probably letting some words fly that i probably get fired if I sat in here. Um, And so he got really mad and was, and looked at me and said, you're the one that's supposed to be cussing, not me. What happened to you? Like, I don't know, man. It's just golf. Like, calm down. And I said, do I always look this stupid when I get mad? He's like, yeah, yeah. And so it was just that defining moment for, I didn't know that God had been working on my anger. I didn't know that I'd been growing in that area until it was pointed out to me. And so the dance of sanctification looks like that. You don't feel like you're growing. You don't understand that you're changing until something happens where your heart is really revealed. And so Mark 4, picking it up in verse 3, is, is where we start to get some of these answers for us of what we do while we wait. And this is a parable Jesus was telling. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up. But since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Since it had no root, it withered away. So what we do as humans is we focus on the fruit. We focus on the results. We never stop to focus on the roots. So what we're learning from Jesus in this thing that he had 30 years, this time that he had, was Jesus wasn't yet worried about the fruits, the results of his ministry. He was all worried about digging in his roots. So when I was a youth pastor, we went to Nantahala. Anyone ever tubed down the Nantahala or rafted down that? Uh, Did you guys jump off the bridge when you first got there? I don't, know if we, I don't know what point we got put in. But there was a bridge, and it was early in the morning, and it was cold. And I just got done speaking at a camp in um, South Dakota, flew in that night, and then like woke up and went with probably 60 middle schoolers to go down the Nantahala. Was not feeling it at all. And so we went in and jumped off the bridge. The water was freezing. It was moving pretty fast. And so I'd done it first and was sitting kind of on the bank helping people get out. Um, and you know, like, you know, never mind, that middle school girl, you know what I'm talking about? Like, just that one. This, okay, so this story is built around that middle school girl. 
So she jumped off the bridge. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know and you're a girl, I'm talking about you. So some of like were jumping off. She jumped off. The water's cold. It's moving super fast. She starts freaking out, yelling, screaming, help, I'm drowning, help. And so um, there'd probably been 30 people gone before her. Um, here's the trick. Stand up. Like you jump into a deep pool, and then you start floating probably 10 feet. And again, the water's moving fast. It's cold. If you never jumped off anything, it's scary. Like you're just surprised to be alive. But where she was, all she had to do was stand up. That's literally it. She would have been fine. I'm standing like, for me to Caleb to her, stand up, walk over here and grab my hand, and I'll get you out. So, again, used to have an anger issue, still kind of do whatever. So she's freaking out, right, yelling. I'm like, hey, hey, just stand up. Hey, just stand up. Stand up! Like, quit screaming for the love of everything that's holy and stand up. Child, rise. Like, stop. (laughs) So you could see, like, I'm talking to her in her eyes. She's just not getting it. She's in total shock. And then, like, it's starting to register in her mind, and then she just puts her feet down and stands up. She's like, oh, I'm like, oh, get out of the river now. You're not going in my boat. I don't want to deal with you the rest of the day. So I just picked her up. What? Don't judge me. What? So I grabbed her, pulled her out of the river. Everything was good. What we have to realize with this time, though, is we're probably like her in the river. That if we're not careful, time is just going to wash us away. But all it takes for us is to stand up and take care of our time ourselves. All that it takes for us is to realize that God has put us in this waiting season, in this time for a reason. And we're either going to get washed away and we're not going to like the results when we get to the end of our lives, or we just stand up. And the current is moving and the water is cold, but if we would just take a second, take a moment to realize, look what Jesus did, look what I can do, let's stand up and let's start the sanctification process. Let's quit crying out for no reason for someone to save us because here's the idea with time. Everyone's busy. Everyone. Everyone is busy. And here's the kicker. You're never going to get more unbusy. Things aren't going to slow down for you. Like especially college students. It's not going to happen. You're going to graduate and you're going to get a big boy job and then you're going to have kids. And then all like life is not going to slow down. Time does not slow down for you. You have to control your time. I was hanging out with a college student this week, and he made a really interesting point. Um, He said, man, I've been trying to hang out with some people. No one's wanting to hang out. They say they don't have any time, but I would love just to pull up their Netflix and show them, bro, you just watched three full seasons. You have time, right? We have time. We definitely have time. Uh, Anyone ever see the A-Team, the movie? There's a quote in there I just love. Um, It says, give me a minute, I'm good. If you give me an hour, I'm great. You give me six months, I'm unbeatable. So while we're in this process of time, while we're in this waiting period, we have to be crazy intentional about what we do. If we want to become more like Jesus, if we want our lives to matter in this waiting season, um, so when I, we had about a year and three months when my wife and I quit our church in Gainesville before we moved to Delano to get a plant here. And I was meeting with my pastor, my life coach, and one thing he said over and over and over again, while you're waiting, sharpen your sword because you're going to go to battle. So while you're in this season of waiting, while you're not pastoring in church, while you're just working at Starbucks, while you're just kind of hanging out and dreaming about what your church is going to look like, take time to sharpen your sword because you're about to go into battle. 
So what I'm telling you guys as we start looking at what this looks like for us in our waiting, if you're in a season of waiting, sharpen your sword because you're about to go into battle. It's about to get real, and it might be tonight, it might be tomorrow, it might be six months, it might be six years, it might be 60 years. Sharpen your sword because you're about to go into battle. So here's four things that I see out of Jesus in his uh, 30 years that would help us to sharpen our sword and, and through the season of waiting would prepare us for that. And number one, we get out of verse 49. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus was crystal clear about his mission. Are you? Do you have a sense of clarity? If we're in this season of waiting, if we want our lives to matter, do you know what that means? Do you have any clarity about that? Are you clear about your mission? Are you clear about who you want to become? Because if you don't, I mean, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time, right? If we say, I cannot wait till I'm more like Christ, but you don't really know what that means, you don't have a clear definition, you're going to get there. You're going to get there. Um, Galatians 6, 4 through 5 in the message says this. Uh, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Do not be impressed with yourself. Do not compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best with what you can in your own life. Who are you? Here's the, Okay, so I love leadership, and I love raising up guys, and I love all that kind of stuff. Here's what I notice, though. The first couple times I give guys the opportunity to preach, I know who they're listening to, right? Because they sound just like that guy. They finish, and I have to say, hey, man, like, I love that you love John Piper, but quit listening to Piper because you're not John Piper. Stop. Hey, man, I love that you like listening to Matt Chandler. Uh, I just got to tell you, you're no Matt Chandler, so quit. I mean, I, I know that you love your pastor, the church you grew up in, but that's not, and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm saying be you. Be clear about who you are and what God has equipped you to be. Quit looking to your left, which is my right. Quit looking to your left, which is now my left and right. Quit looking this way. That was free. Quit looking each side. Focus on what God has equipped you to be and be clear about your mission. God has given you a certain amount of skill sets. Don't be impressed by what other people do. Like I say this all the time. Guys want to be in ministry. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a preacher. No, you don't. Go do what you're already good at and spread the gospel there. We need less pastors and preachers, and we need more good construction guys. We need more good doctors and lawyers. That's going to spread the gospel way more than some idiot standing on stage talking about Jesus. So be clear, just because you feel like I want to do something big for God does not mean you need to become a pastor. I would try to talk you out of that. Be a teacher. That's what matters. Do something where you impact people's lives with the gospel daily. Be clear about who you are and what God has equipped you and do that. Jesus had such a sense of clarity. The second thing that he had comes out of verse 52. And Jesus increased in his wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Those last two words are huge. In favor with God and man. So obviously, uh, we talked about the, the stories earlier where Jesus just told people to die because they bumped into him. Do you think that's going to earn his stature with man? No. Like, you're a bully. You're a God and you're killing people because you ran into me. Like, I don't like you anymore. That's not going to be true. Um, this idea here is a word called reproach. If you've grown up in church, you probably know it. If not, let me define it for you. 
Reproach means to address someone in such a way to express disapproval or disappointment. And this is where it comes out of Scripture, 1 Timothy 3.2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So what's happening there, they're laying out the, the, fray, or the qualifications for elders and overseers. And the huge thing is they have to be above reproach. And so what we're talking about here and what Jesus modeled for us is this idea, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Have you guys heard that before? It's age old. I think I learned that as a band kid in high school when I was like going to be a drum captain because I played band because I couldn't get in sports. That's why all band people play band because you can't be good at sports. So I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I was in band. I'm, I'm, we're fine. I can make fun of you because I was that guy. You've got to be above reproach. Listen, if no one around you likes you, they don't care about the God that you serve. If no one around you likes you, if you're that Lloyd legalist, right, if you're going around telling everyone what they shouldn't be doing and no one likes you, then what does that mean about your king? Because what I read about Jesus in the scriptures, people wouldn't leave him alone. The only people that hated Jesus were the ones that wanted to kill him because they were uh, frustrated by the power that he had. Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a sinner and a drunkard, all this because people would not leave him alone. And so what for, does that mean for us is we've got to live above reproach. If we're in this season of waiting and we're trying to bring people with us, are you a leader or not? Are you being the gospel to your friends and to your family or are you not? And I know people, oh, the gospel is offensive. Yeah, let that be offensive, not you. Right? One thing, I mean, that's, that's straight from Matthew Thomas. He tells me that all the time. Hey, Gabe, you can offend people when you're preaching. Let the gospel offend them, not you, by making cocaine jokes. Verbatim, Matt Thomas, <laughs> sign it. So we have to understand that Jesus was gaining favor while he was waiting, before he did anything. He's just the carpenter's son, and he was gaining favor from man because of his reproach. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You don't have love if you don't if you're not living your life above reproach no one cares your clarity your witness has just gone out the window because how you're living and how you're acting verse 51 so we've got clarity we've got reproach verse 51 teaches us about humility how do we deep develop deep roots we focus on humility and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Listen, if you don't develop roots of humility now, you never will. If you don't develop roots of humility now in this waiting period, what makes you think you're going to be humble when you arrive? You're going to think that you deserve it, that you earn it, that God has given you this job, this opportunity, this platform because you're an awesome person. And when God chooses to take that away from you, you're going to say, God, what did I do? Didn't I do this for you? Didn't I love you enough and this is how you repay me? You have to develop roots of humility. Jesus did not have to submit to Mary and Joseph, but he chose to. He chose a root of humility. So what does that mean for us now? What does that mean for us now in this period of waiting? Do not look highly upon yourself. Paul, the guy that could, 
the guy that was killing it. I mean, you talk about writing two-thirds of the New Testament, um, went from killing Christians to making Christians everywhere he went. said, I'm the chief among sinners. You don't even want to talk to me. Like, don't look at me. Look at Christ. John, I must decrease. He must increase. We've got to get out of his way. We've got to develop roots of humility, or else when God tries to bless us, we're going to think, we did it. And what does that do for anybody? God is for his glory. He wants his name and renown to be all over the planet. And can he get glory from you when you think you're the point? Can he get glory from you? Can he get praises from you when you think you deserve this and you've earned this? No, so like we talked about a couple weeks, God uses the unusable. Why do we think that God chose Jesus to be born to poor people? Why do we look at the people of the Old Testament? Why did Moses kill a man with his bare hand, but he also was the one that gave the Ten Commandments? Why did David have an affair and then kill the, dude, or the girl's bride? I messed this up last week. Why did David have an affair, right, and then said, hey, I'm going to get your husband killed so that we can get together? But David's still a man after God's own heart? What? You don't have that ministry, by the way. Don't even think about it. That's not for you. That was just for David. But we've got to develop humility. This is not about us. This is not about me. This is not about you. This is about Jesus and his kingdom. Develop the roots of humility. And the last one, verse 46, and after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus, fully man, fully God, was crazy hungry for the truth was crazy hungry for the truth. So while we're in this season of waiting, are you hungry? Are you pursuing, are you developing roots of seeking truth everywhere? Are you asking really good questions? And here's what I mean. I'm not saying, do you show up and sit back and say, all right, I'm here at church, I better get fed or I'm not gonna stay at this church anymore. Are you pressing in saying, who can I ask some questions to because I read this text and I understand it and I wanna know. Who can I talk to about this? How can I press into this? Because I'm really hungry for truth and I've got to get some answers fast. Because I've grown out of this, I need someone to feed me a bottle. And I'm growing into this, I'm ready for steak and I need some answers. Are you hungry? Are you developing a sense of hunger in our life? Here's just a couple ways. Uh, Jesus sought out teachers and sat in their midst. Are you looking for someone that's one, two, three steps ahead of you? Are you seeking them out saying, hey man, if I buy you lunch, can I just ask you questions? Uh, John Maxwell talks about when he was early in his ministry, he would pay people. He would like email the highest of high pastors of that day, pay them, show up with a voice recorder, sit down and say, okay, I've got an hour for you. Here's 200 bucks. No, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to ask questions for a straight hour. If I've got an hour with this guy, I'm going to drill him on every question I can think of. I'm going to write down 300 questions knowing I'm only going to get through 50, but I'm going to take this time because I'm hungry. I want to know. The second thing is Jesus listened. Oh, right? He listened. Do we feel like we should be the ones talking? Are we okay with listening? Are we seeking out answers? And are we listening? Even if we disagree with that, are we still listening and soaking in and processing? He asked good questions and he gave answers. He asked good questions, and he gave answers, but you have to understand the humility, the posture of Jesus in that. He answered the questions they asked. He didn't walk in going, hey, I think I'm Jesus, son of God. Sit down and listen. No. 
And even when you start looking at Jesus and his ministry, he only started preaching because he had to. Because there's so many people following him. Right? He started preaching when he couldn't talk to 12 guys sitting at a table. Because there's 10,000. You can't have one-on-one conversation with 10,000, just so you know. You've got to preach. But he gave his answers when he was asked. Are we hungry? Are we hungry for the truth? Are we hungry for the knowledge? So as we're in the season of waiting, as we have this time for us to sit here, man, I want us to be clear about why we're waiting. I want us to fully be submissive to what God has for us. I want us to be hungry, and I want us to be humble. Based on what we see from Jesus, I think that is what sanctification looks like for us. As we wait, if we model those four characteristics, I have no doubt God's going to use us. But here's the big truth. Here's where we have to land the plane, though. This is not a formula. This is not A plus B plus C plus D equals full sanctification. Sanctification comes from Jesus alone. In his timing, in his knowledge, in his idea of who you should be. So don't come to me in three weeks going, man, I did all of these things for three weeks and nothing happened. Yeah, okay. I believe you. Because based on what he has done, not on what we can do. We have to understand the gospel in its entirety. It's not if we do this and this and this, Jesus is going to bless us. It's Jesus has already blessed us, therefore, let's do this and this and this and this. When we take communion in a couple minutes, we take communion every week to remind ourselves what God has already accomplished for us, not what we can accomplish for him. That is the beauty of the gospel. So what I don't want this to sound like is sanctification is fully up to you. You're fully in charge. You have to do it. You have to nail it. If you mess up, you're damned to hell. That's not the process of sanctification. It's that Jesus showed his grace and mercy upon us, called us to him as sons and daughters of the king. Now that we're in this waiting season, what do we do? Now that we're in this waiting season, what do we do? So I hope for you as much as for me, and this is just good news, that Jesus waited 30 years, had a ministry of three, and then was killed. Who wants that? That Jesus spent 30 years preparing. 9% of Jesus' life was actual ministry. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. So don't get frustrated with the process. Don't get frustrated with the waiting. But as we stop and pray, as we take communion, just keep pressing into him, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords that died for us. So I'm going to pray. And we're going to take communion and we're going to continue in worship. Uh, with communion, let me give a couple instructions before we pray. Uh, if you guys would just kind of start lining up on the outside of the table so that those in the middle can continue to worship. Uh, we don't have labels yet, but we do have gluten-free options for you guys back there. Because we want everyone to be able to participate in communion. As we get to break the bread, which is the body, and dip it into the juice, which is the blood, we get to remember all that Christ has done for us. We wanted everyone to participate in that. And if you're not yet a believer, man, we're so grateful that you're here. But we just ask that you respect this. This is a really meaningful time for us as believers as we get to celebrate what God has done for us. And if you want more information about that, man, I'd love to talk to you. If you're hungry, <laughs> come talk. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we honestly don't understand this, this concept of waiting. God, we don't understand that you chose to wait 
for 30 years before you started your ministry. Jesus, we struggle with the fact that we have to wait for a week before we feel like we've been used by you. So Father, I know that all of us in this room are struggling in some way or another on an idea of waiting. God, that we have prayed and we have asked for you to show up and we feel like you haven't. God, we've been praying and asking you for years to get rid of a sin that we're struggling with and we still struggle. That we've been waiting for you to roll out what our life is going to look like and what you want us to do and where you want us to be. And Jesus, you haven't yet. And so I understand that as we talk about, man, be submissive, be hungry, be humble, have clarity, that in this process we can just get tired. But Jesus, we just, we just want answers now. God, but we know that the longer we wait on you, the sweeter it's going to be when you speak. And Jesus, we know that you do love us and you do care for us and you are keeping information back because that's what's best for us. And so I know that there are some in this room tonight that are so frustrated and so angry about the season of waiting they feel like they've been in for a while. God, would you just bring peace to them right now? God, I know that there are those that are just completely honest or starting to doubt whether you're real because you have yet to show up and they're tired of waiting. So Father, would you just whisper in their ear, just keep pressing on. Be steadfast in your faith. Keep moving. that as we celebrate communion, as we break your body, as we tip it into your blood, that you didn't do all that just to leave us. So God, would that just be a reminder for those in this room that are sick and tired of waiting? God, would you just whisper patience and peace in their ear right now? God, we do ask for clarity. God, let our clarity be defined by you and who you want us to be. But Jesus, here's what I know. That if you waited, I want to wait too. If you submitted, I want to submit too. If you were hungry, Jesus, I want to be hungry too. God, because I want to be like you. I want to do the things that you did. Father, I want to see lives transformed in front of me by your glory and your power. Of this room, we're here tonight, God, because you've drawn us in because we know that there's a bigger story happening. There's more to this life than get successful and die. And there's eternity at stake here. And we want to be a part of changing eternity. So Jesus, how dare us pray? And how dare us be frustrated with waiting when you modeled that so well for us? God, let us wait with you.
with joy. Father, let us be hungry about what's next for us, but let us never try to get before you. Let us wait on your timing. Let us wait in this process of sanctification. But while we wait, Jesus, let us celebrate all that you've done through communion, through worship. God, let us dance and rejoice in what you've done and what you will do because you love us. God, the beauty of the gospel is that you love us. Even in our season of waiting, you're crazy about us. So we say we love you, Jesus, but more importantly, thank you so much for loving us. That's your name that we pray. Amen. So let's take some communion. Let's worship and celebrate what God is doing.